Guillermo del Toro has a brand new anthology series on Netflix. It's called Cabinet of Curiosities, and it features eight modern horror stories that had a very interesting release schedule. Netflix was dropping two a day for the period of a week. What he's done is he's compiled great directors, up-and-coming directors, partnered them with some pretty famous writers, and told some original stories as well as some stories based on classic horror tales like H.P. Lovecraft, for example. At the time of this recording, six of the eight episodes are out. And if you want to know what they feel like, it's pretty much in the vein of The Twilight Zone, Amazing Stories, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, specifically The Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Presents, because every episode begins with Guillermo himself walking out and giving you a brief introduction of what's to come. If you don't know, like, there is a whole thing with the cabinet of curiosities and what it means. And Guillermo del Toro kind of explains it at the opening of the first episode. Um, I've seen three of the six that are already out. I am a fan because this is the sort of thing I think that first exposed me to horror, creepy, weird storytelling. Like when I was growing up watching things like The Twilight Zone and Alfred Hitchcock Presents and even Steven Spielberg's Amazing Stories were something that helped me dabble into different genres mm. and discover things like sci-fi, horror, supernatural, thrillers. Like that was my introduction to this sort of filmmaking and storytelling. And right, yeah, I just love these sorts of things. Like 45 minutes, 50 minutes, you get a nice complete story. I think... Netflix marketing is making a mistake by selling it as a horror horror. Yeah. Like Twilight Zone, like Alfred Hitchcock Presents, this is not the kind of thing that will scare you, but the ideas within it might keep you up. Coming to it from Netflix's sort of marketing spin on it was really my mistake. I was expecting real spooky, creepy stuff, right? Because he's Guillermo del Toro. He's, you know, he's he's the count of creepy, right? His house is creepy as balls, you know? So he's a big fan of the macabre, let's just say. Coming into that first episode, I was watching it ahead of you. And I think halfway through it, I texted you and I just said, nothing creepy has happened yet. And we're 20 minutes into a, you know, 30 minute, 40 minute episode. And it just, a lot of the episodes feel like that. They don't feel as satisfying as I wish they would be. Right. The There's an episode called, I can't remember what it's called, but it's the one with the rats. It's fine, I guess. You know, it's, it's really, I fucking love that episode, dude. When I was watching it, I was, I was disappointed because it didn't feel creepy or, or scary. But thinking about it later, I was wondering if I was just in the wrong headspace for it. Because like I said, I was waiting for a scary story whereas here is just more like a, a little monstery thing i will say the ending was more satisfying than the first one i too have only seen the first three i liked autopsy the best of the three that i saw so autopsy is the third episode it's written by david Escoya. it's directed by david Pryor, based on a short story by michael shea it stars f murray abraham he's always fantastic he's always fantastic and it kind of tells the story of these miners in a small town and this strange 
let's call it creature that they encounter. It has a very interesting format to it in that it begins with an explosion in the mine and then the police chief is explaining to the coroner what had happened before he allows the coroner to go and conduct these autopsies on the dead miners. I think I love the structure of the episode and it's incredibly well written as well. F. Murray Abraham's character is absolutely fantastic in the sense that within that very short period, it's written so well that you develop a real affinity for him. Mm. And it's just in the way it's, it's just in the way the character is portrayed because for the first half of the episode, he doesn't say very much. He's listening to someone tell a story. And yet yeah. there is still a great sense of empathy in this individual. As soon as he starts conducting these autopsies and he's about to cut into these people and he's like, I'm really sorry, my friend. My curiosity demands that I cut into you. And yeah. I'm just like, it immediately creates a sense of empathy with this character. And especially when you're trying to tell, uh, let's just use the term horror story because I guess at the end of the day, that's what it is. It may not necessarily mm. be scary, but it's still a horrific story. And so when you're telling a yeah. horror story, you need the audience to have an attachment to these characters very quickly so that by the end of it, they feel something. And I think yeah. he achieves that with all of the shows. I mean, with all the episodes we've seen so far. So even, even with David Hewlett's character in Graveyard Rats, you feel somewhat torn at the end like he's a real asshole who's looking for money but he's also in a bad situation and there were bits when i was hoping he'd get out of it right like right i don't think that's a spoiler because when it comes to shows like this basically your protagonists are always going to meet horrible ends whether they deserve to or not right i think that's the point correct and even with Tim Blake Nelson's character in the first one like he's a real dick and so you know his come up is coming i think all of it kind of fits within that Guillermo del Toro mold. Like, so he only co-wrote two of them, but he curated all of them. Yes. When I say Guillermo del Toro mold, I mean there are very creative and clever-looking monsters. There is this notion that sometimes the monsters aren't the monsters, but humans are the bigger monsters. That's something that runs through mm -hmm. all of his films and TV projects. And there is a gothic sensibility to it. And I think that's the kind of stuff that I love the most. Like this one was made with Netflix Manila. Like it's beautiful. It's shot really well. Like all the directors are great. The production design is fantastic. It doesn't feel cheap. La. That might be the only real saving grace for the series for me. This feels like a, I don't want to say half-baked, but the stories don't really feel fully realized. And for me, that's the biggest disappointment. Again, aside from the third one, I thought the first and the second episodes brought up these big questions that they didn't even bother trying to answer, I think. You know, it's just that thing of like, ah, it's a monster. Now he needs to run, but he dies. You know, it's just like, where's the monster from? Why is there a monster? What is going on? You know, that was what was the most disappointing for me. The stories never feel fully fleshed out. They never feel they had a... Uh, proper arc to it i guess in some way i totally disagree dude like i yeah, was com i was completely satisfied with each of these episodes like for me it felt like one of those twilight zone things like yes there were some questions mm. still left to be answered sure but at the same time within the kind of context that they set it up it was resolved so like with tim blake mm. nelson's 
story in Lot 36, the first episode, yes, you want to know more about the demonic rituals, the secret books, and all of that stuff. But yeah. for the most part, this was the story of this asshole. And that got resolved quite neatly. So I was incredibly satisfied with the three that I've seen so far. Like, it just, like, this is something I could binge. Because I'm just perfectly happy to sit here and get lost in that world. And I think you're right. Part of it has to do with just how well everything is made. I was disappointed with how much time was spent building up or rather tearing down Tim Blake Nelson's character. And I was just like, okay, let's just move on. Let's let's just move on. I, I move on. I, I was just like, I kept getting frustrated because once we got towards the end, at the beginning of the third act, I do in air quotes, the bit when he finds out when he goes to the collectors and finds out all the details about it, I was like, oh, okay, this is interesting. I wish we were here a lot sooner because then we'd have time to spend on the second half or what I want the rest of the stuff to be. But then I don't think it will be as satisfying when he finally perishes. I think the build-up to his assholeness was necessary. Yeah, I didn't find that very satisfying. It was an expected comeuppance. I just felt like it was a... Okay, cool. The lady didn't let him out. He dies. And then I was left in a really weird spot. I will say, I am looking forward to episode four because that was directed by Anna Lili Abimpo who did A Girl Walks Home Alone at night. So I'm looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to episodes five and six because those were based on H.P. Lovecraft short stories. Yes, correct. Pigman's Model is one of them and Dreams in the Witch House. And it'll be interesting. A lot of people have tried to adapt Lovecraft. It'll be interesting to see how well, I guess, Guillermo del Toro does with Keith Thomas and Catherine Hardwick directing those two episodes. I mean, the cast on all of this is absolutely fantastic. Aside oh, from yeah, F. Murray yeah. Abraham, David Hewlett, Tim Blake Nelson, you've got Ben Barnes, Crispin Glover coming up, Rupert Grint, Peter Weller, Eric Andre. You've got Andrew Lincoln, Sophia Butella's in it. Steve Agee, who was in Peacemakers in it. Kate Micucci's in episode four. Dan Stevens is in episode four. So there's a lot, lot of real yeah. sort of... There's a lot of great talent. You know, and uh, Both great talent, in front yeah. of the camera and behind the camera. But yeah, I, I'm, watch some more, man. Watch some more and let me know. Because oh, no, I, no, I'm, no. I'm hooked and I'm definitely going to be finishing the series. Mm. And I think for me, these things are always very difficult to do, these anthology shows, because even... The Jordan Peele Twilight Zone, the first two seasons were a mixed bag. Yet again, very mm. well produced. But even with that series, I didn't feel the Jordan Peele touch in every episode. Because obviously those yeah. two were written and directed by different people. He had a group of people that he had assembled because he had curated the stories, right? But for right. this, so far, I... I I feel the Guillermo del Toro-ness. It's like, it's right there. Like all of it is there. So mm. I'm like, oh, okay. His vision is kind of secure in this. If you're a fan of Guillermo del Toro, then you'll definitely enjoy these lot because it's very him. Here's a sort of like a random, probably unnecessary comparison that I'm going to make. Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities feel like the later post-Netflix move episodes of Black Mirror in that they got a lot of money, a lot of talent, but the ideas were never quite like the first two seasons. So it really feels like that. The first two seasons of, of Black Mirror, a total of six episodes, they were really, really strong. They were really troubling. They were really disturbing. 
But then once it moves to Netflix, it gets a little, it feels like those, those sharp edges got shaved off a little bit. It felt a little safer. And I think Cabinet of Curiosities, to, to me, feels like those post-Netflix Black Mirror years. Where it's not quite where it's not quite there. It's not quite as sharp, as witty, as as exciting as it could have, should have, would have been. I agree with you with regards to the ideas behind each episode because it doesn't feel like there is necessarily one big metaphor that each episode is trying to get at, like those initial Black Mirror stories. However, mm, yeah. this one feels more in line with the horror comics that we used to read as kids and the Twilight Zone and Steven Spielberg's amazing stories where it seems focused rather on the individuals in the story. Right, as opposed to the theme. So I'm not sure what the later episodes are going to be like, but the episodes we've seen so far are completely focused. Like the POV is from Tim Blake Nelson, David Hewlett and F. Murray Abraham. So it's it's similar to... Guillermo del Toro's films as well. So Bradley Cooper is the primary focus. Shape of Water is not about the monster per se, Mm. but it's about those two individuals at the heart of the story. And so I think this one has that similar focus. The themes are there, but the character is the main focus. I mean, it's a very interesting experiment. It's one of those experiments I think that isn't... Like Netflix has tried doing quite a few of these and a lot of them have been outright failures in the vacuum and the void of Black Mirror. Not to say that this fills the space because it's a very different thing, but I think entrusting a director like Guillermo del Toro, they've actually got a pretty good product in their hands. And releasing it over this Halloween, this lead up to Halloween week is a very smart thing to do because I think they will have eyeballs on this because, because of the names behind every episode anyway. I think if you're looking for some good stories. I'm not even going to call them horror stories or scary stories. I think if you're looking for good stories to watch in the lead up to Halloween, check this out. Let us know what you think because we're curious. By here and I are on separate sides of the fence on this one. But let us know what you think. Are you enjoying Guillermo del Toro's Cabinet of Curiosities? You can reach out on all of our social media feeds, GogglerMY. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on 012-524-5208. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Goggler Podcast.